Hello and welcome to Too Fit to Be Tied. Where we talk about health from a variety of perspectives. Emotional health. Mental health. Physical health. And spiritual health. My name is Jerome. And I'm your co-host, Constance. Welcome to another episode of Too Fit to Be Tied. What's your deal? (laughs) I was just listening to you. You seem all laid back and... (laughs) I'm very zen. Wow. Yeah, remember last last episode we shot, I think I just came from acupuncture. Acupuncture. And now I'm just, you know, it's my day off today. I'm just like zen. Wow. So just all laid back and don't give a shit. You're not used to that. You're know, used to like high strong, like, like let's go, let's go, let's go. Yeah, wound up. This is the new me, you know. I as I changed my, you know, workload and this is like I think this is how it's supposed to be. Okay, so I may have to get a new podcast host. Is that well we'll, we'll, <laughs> we, we'll take we can't a, have two laid well, back. You're right. We can't well, have two laid back. Well, yeah, we'll hosts. take a poll from the listeners. Um like can um, Constance maybe caffeinate yeah. it up a little more? Yeah, really. You're on, you're on probation then. Uh, well, you know what? I'm telling you, it's all about work-life balance. I think I'm, find, I'm trying to find it right now. Wow. And it, well, it seems like you are. So speaking of, right, being Zen okay. um, and having work-life balance, we have a guest today. Excellent. Uh, her name is Mary Claire Algren, and she's actually a client of mine. She is a school social worker, and I'll tell you who's not Zen. It's this woman. Oh, man. She what? has a hot, man, she has a high-stress job. You know, when you're training somebody, you're always, how are you? You know, you want to check in mentally with how they're doing, emotionally how they're doing, and of course, physically. And I'll tell you what, I call her, and we'll, we'll mention this when we get her on the phone, I call her um, mother, little mother Teresa. Wow. Because okay. she has just. Does she like that name? I'm not sure. You know, in fact, I'm not even sure she's Catholic. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she is like, she is just an amazing person. Her job is fascinating as a school social worker, which I didn't mm-hmm. know what that even really was. I just thought like kids came and maybe talked about their problems, left, and, you know, everything was good. But talk about high stress and what she deals with. We're going we're gonna to get the scoop from her. Wow, okay. Um, okay. All right, so you're going <laughs> to. It's like I'm going to. Guess I'm gonna do the, the thing now. Man, your 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 probation is I am uh, struggling. No. <clears throat> Hello. Hi, Mary Claire. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You are here with um, Jerome and I. So thanks for meeting with us and being willing to do this. Good. Hi, Mary Claire. Thanks for doing this. We really appreciate it. Ah, yeah. Nice to officially meet you too. Yeah. Um, okay, so we kind of introduced you. I, ca- I I already said that I call you like little mother Teresa. Now, did okay. you did you know this, Mary Claire? I didn't know the mother Teresa part. Now, <laughs> I think I've said that to you, like literally, or maybe I said, "Are you a saint?" I think I've said something <laughs> along those lines. I get saint a lot, although I'm not one, but I get saint a lot from you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I I believe she's going straight to heaven. That's okay. just that's just well, me. We'll, we'll be the judge of that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Okay, so 
do me a favor. You just take it away. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us what you do for a living and what made you get into that sort of field. Yeah. Um, so my name is Mary Claire. I am only 24. I'll be 25 in August. Not a lot of people can believe that, I guess. No, you um, can't. <laughs> but yeah, I, um, I'm a school social worker. So I work um, in a Title I school, which is um, sort of it's low income um, and usually just on the poor end of the spectrum, um, less opportunities for the students. Um, but I love what I do. I have been, this will be going into my fourth year of schools, of being in a school. Um, I have been with all ages from five up to 21 as a school social worker. Um, So I've moved around a little bit. I started my career in Kansas, uh, just because that's where I went to undergrad, was the University of Kansas. Um, And I was the only bilingual uh, social worker in the entire district. Wow. Um, which was really cool. I, I speak Spanish and English. Um, I was lucky enough to have my dad as Spanish's uh, first language. So I was lucky enough to learn it, although I am a um, 5'1", blonde, very pale person. So usually when I whip out my Spanish, I definitely scare a couple people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, no. She knows, she knows what we've been saying. yes um but yeah so now I currently work with all ages from three up until um about 12 13 at my current school um it is near the west side of Chicago um and I love it I love my kids I love what I do I um have a typical story I guess of of getting into it I um instead of lemonade stands as a kid I did advice stands, so I made people pay me <laughs> at the ripe age of like six and seven for my advice. Come wow. on, did like, you really? That's like, wasn't I, that like uh, Lucy from Charlie Brown? Did you ever see that? I She's only twenty four, but I've been compared to that a lot. People have told me about that. <laughs> okay, but yes. I used to make people pay me like 50 cents for life advice from a six-year-old. Um, and they did it. I don't wow. Know. And did they come back? Did That's the question. Oh, definitely. It was a big hit. I used to have like a whole stand on the, I grew up in River Forest. So I used to have a whole stand at the River Forest Memorial Parade. They would come by, pay me 50 cents. I would give them their life advice. And I would feel like, I don't know, I was wow. a perfect person. I had all the answers at six. Wow, and you did you did you get many adults uh, asking for that, advice? That was my probably my most. <laughs> That's her market. <laughs> oh my we, gosh! You know, I mean, why wouldn't you want life advice? I told lots of people that they should get married. I told lots of people to buy the big house on the corner with the pool. I mean, <laughs> some of them listened. Wow, <laughs> that is awesome. All right, so you basically what you're saying is you're good at advice giving. It's just, an, it's a gift. Like it's just. <laughs> okay. I would like to think so. Um, but yeah, I mean, the real, I guess, reason of getting into school social work is um, being a trusting adult in these kids' lives. A lot of kids who are like high risk, low income, they don't have that. Um, even though a lot of the times their families try the best that they can. Um, 
they just, they're not able to be that trusting person. They aren't able to give the love um, sort of that they deserve. And so I don't really know what else I would do because I feel like that's the only thing I'm, I'm good at. So, now, yeah. Now, are they able to just come and see you or are you seeing most of the kids after they've had some sort of problem? So technically I have a caseload of 780 students at my current school. Um, I luckily do have a social work partner, which is very nice. So we um, are able to split the grades up. How being a social worker works is um, my first priority is special education. Um, So kids with IEPs, individualized education plans or 504s for things like ADHD and anxiety. Um, So when you typically think of a school social worker, those are the kids that I'm seeing day in, day out, um, where they have scheduled times during the week. We have, you know, I have schedules of lessons that we learn each week. Um, I have groups or, you know, duos or single students. Um, so that's my day in, day out. But on the flip side of it, I don't just work with special education. I also work with the entire general education population. Um, and so there usually is an overlap. A lot of my kids who do have IEPs who I'm legally mandated to see also have other situations that call for sort of my other social work self, like getting involved with things like family services, um, giving resources for food pantries and clothes. Um, so, but I am, I am open not only to the 780 students on my caseload. Um, I also assist teachers. Um, so it's, it's a lot. I'm a social worker for everybody, um, but I at least I have I have constants to go work out with. So <laughs> now, and when you say you you assist teachers, you're assisting them with their problems, their personal problems, with or problems they're having with a student in their class. All of the above. Wow. Um, I go in and I teach dual lessons with teachers if they're having a hard time. For instance, like our safe touch lessons, um, or you know any behavioral lessons that they may need assistance on. I also go in and I help them with specific students. Sometimes that is my IEP students. Um, Other times it is general education students who might just have behavioral issues or a challenge to have in class. Um, But I also assist with any personal issues. I get a lot of, um, you know, teachers who are having a hard time just at home with their own families or, you know, their own mental health. And so they also deserve a person to talk to. And it's hard to be sort of everybody's person sometimes. Um, but yes, I assist with all of the above, whether it's personal, whether it's in their classroom or a specific student in their classroom. That's what I'm there for. After dealing with everyone and their problems, how do you then, I don't know, decompress or let go of all the things that you've absorbed throughout the day? It's hard. I have a very um, straight face. I'm able to sort of push back my own emotions sometimes. And I wait until I'm usually in private, um, whether that be my office or my own home, or I'm in, you know, the a room with a trusted person, like, you know, my partner. Um, and then I, then I'm able to sort of cry. Sometimes you just need to cry it out. Sometimes you just need to lay in silence for at least an hour. I feel like a lot of teachers or people that work in busy environments can understand that when you come home from school um, or work, you just need to be alone. (laughs) Nobody talk to me. Just let me sit here and sort of process what the day has been. Um, 
but I am lucky to have, I have lots of animals. I have a house full of animals and a new, a new foster kitten about three weeks old on my lap currently. So I like taking care of the animals. I like, you know, being with my spouse and um, being with the people that are in my home. I like working out. I like watching trashy reality TV shows. <laughs> Um, and sorry, Constance, I like comfort food sometimes, you know, just like a <gasps> bowl of like mac and cheese. You don't eat that. I'll have broccoli on the side, but <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so here's an example. Mary Claire will come in, you know, hi, how was work? You know, and she'll <laughs> tell me stories and I'm just like, what? So, Jerome, you and I grew up very differently, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would assume that what you saw in school and what I saw in school is vastly different. Uh, and yeah. When, you know, you you would agree with that. Yeah. And so in my world, I mean, I have learned so much from you, Mary Claire. And I'm, I laugh because she's, you know, she says she's 24. You would think she's 48. And she's just... Not, not that she looks 48. She just, look she's 48. got the experience she's, of, of a... She's like the soul. Well, got the body of a 48-year-old. You, that's not true. Help with that. Just her soul. <laughs> like her soul, her demeanor. She's very mature. And you've taught me so much about just what goes on in the world. I mean, it's kind of sad that I have been so sheltered. Um, but can you give us like some, you know, it doesn't have to be specific, but like, can you give us some things that you see in, you know, in terms of children and their struggles and, you know, what some kids are actually dealing with at, in terms of at home? Yeah. I mean, at home, their home lives are a challenge. Um, I mean, this obviously doesn't go for every single one of my students, but, Honestly, the majority of, of my school that I'm, I'm currently at, it's, um, it's a lot of gangs. It's a lot of gangs. It's a lot of uh, domestic violence in the home. It is a lot of um, um, drugs and alcohol abuse in the home. And that then trickles into school. They have self-esteem, self-esteem issues. They have, um, they're not where they are grade-wise academically. Um, so majority of the school that I'm at they are usually anywhere between one to four grade levels below where they should be. Um, so if you walked into a school, for instance, just because that's where I grew up in River Forest, most kids are going to be on grade level. They have the resources at home and at school and in the community to help them stay at grade level. So meaning math, reading, writing, whatever it may be. Um, but my students, you know, majority of, uh, let's say, my fifth graders, they're sometimes at a kindergarten level. Um, And so everything affects everything. Um, Everything that goes on at home can affect their schooling. And then even things that happen at school can then affect them when they go home because a lot of our families are intertwined. I have a lot of kids who are cousins with each other or, you know, so-and-so's mom grew up with so-and-so, and that can also cause tension at school. We've had a lot of parents get into almost, you know, near fights on our playground just because of outside community uh, beef, so to speak, or problems. Um, And that affects the kids in all areas, so at school and at home. But uh, majority of what I deal with is um, a lot of gang violence, a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol. And um, and sadly, you know, I I do make a lot of DCFS cases, so Department of Child and Family Services. but the good thing is, is I, the case managers that then have to come in and interview my students and hopefully help them and their parents or their family be successful um, after an incident is reported is they're, they're really great. 
they come out from Maywood. Um, and so at least we have a good relationship with them. Um, but yeah, my day to day is it can jump from one thing to another. I can have a student who is about to be, you know, jumped in, which means you're, you're going to be in a gang. Um, and then I can turn around and have, you know, a DCFS case with two six-year-olds and I kind of have to jump on my toes and I have to keep my happy face or keep my neutral face, um, for whatever situation I'm going into. Cause sometimes I, I get called down and I have an entire family in the conference room and I don't know what's about to happen, but I just have to be there. So there's a lot of different things that my kids battle. And I don't know if, I don't know if I could deal with what half of my, you know, eight-year-olds deal with at home. You know, I remember at the end of the school year, I said something to you and I said to the effect, like the kids must be, you know, just going out of their minds, ready to like end school and be on summer break. And you kind of looked at me and you were like, what? You said most of, a lot of these kids, you know. They're eating it. This is, yeah, they're, this is their, are you kidding me? Like you said, this is their, their sanctuary. This is their safe zone. This is where they get fed. And, you know, you were like, actually, it's quite the opposite. You said at the end of the school year, there are a lot of kids really, you know, crying and upset and missing you and, you know, almost looking at you as a mom figure. And that's got to be, I was like, oh my gosh, that has got to be really difficult. Yes. <laughs> um, that is something that was new to me too, because I didn't go to a, a Title I school growing up. And so I was always excited for spring break and Thanksgiving and, you know, summertime. But for my kids, um, it, it sounds very dramatic, but it's life or death. Um, the streets that they're on, they're dangerous. And I don't think we fully comprehend what that means. We see, especially in Chicago, we see the news, we see these, you know, big situations, but we don't understand that two blocks down, something is happening down the street or something happening in somebody's basement. Um, and it's, it's dangerous for my kids to be at home. And a lot of my kids are at home alone. I have, you know, I have a student who they take care of their younger sibling all day and their parents have to work because that's how you put food on the table and pay that month's rent. But my student is, you know, eight years old, nine years old, and they're taking wow. care of the And wow. I couldn't imagine ever being in that situation. And so... No, holidays are not fun for them. They get fed breakfast and lunch at school. They have snacks. Sometimes we have teachers that even will have pizza on Fridays and send certain, you know, bulks of it home with specific students that may need it for the weekend to just tie them over. Um, and it, yeah, really, honestly, any vacation is really shitty. And so it's really hard to leave my kids. It's really hard to know that maybe I get to, you know, go spend time with my family or I get to go on a trip, but always in the back of my head, it's, you know, I don't know what, where, where's so-and-so, where's X, Y, and Z, or I'm so scared that so-and-so's brother might've come back or whatever it might be. Um, and so no holidays for these kids are not a happy time. Christmas is hell for them. Wow. That's the first time in the school year that they're gone for the longest period of time, which is about two weeks for you know, Christmas, wintertime, and New Year's, um, and they hate it. They absolutely hate it. It's not a fun thing. I'm not saying, again, that's not for every single one of my students, um, 
but summer especially, it was, it's hard. The last couple of weeks, behaviors are out of control um, because they don't know how to regulate themselves. They don't know how to act because for all the teachers, it's sort of, you know, it's a happy time. Yay, it's freedom. It's, you know, we're done with the school year and they're doing all these quote unquote fun activities like field day or what are you going to do this summer? Make a sun picture. But for our kids, that's just a consistent reminder that they might not have food tomorrow. They might be kicked out. They have to face what's going on in the streets or they might have to make hard decisions and that might lead to them not coming back to school that next year. Um, so it's, it's kind of brutal and it's kind of sad to think about. Um, but yeah, vacation is not a happy time for my kids. Wow. And I, I think that's uh, something that people don't think about. Like you talk about, you know, the students being behind grade level and, you know, I think people just look at that and look at, you know, the test scores and say, well, oh, maybe they're not as smart. But when you're dealing with, you know, all the things that you're telling us about now, it makes a lot of sense why you wouldn't be able to focus 100 percent on on your on your schoolwork. Um, I read a we we may have talked about this before. Remember uh, the the adverse childhood experience score, the ACE score. Oh yeah. And the more of these you know negative experiences you have, um, you know some of the things you're talking about, Mary Claire, like you know the the violence, you know not being able to eat, um, just. Uh, just all these negative experiences, the more negative experiences you have, you can pretty much predict how someone's life is going to go. And, and not just, you know, and not just, you know, economically or socially, but also um, health-wise. It, all, it, it takes a toll on your, on your health. Oh, absolutely. They're my students' mental health, physical health, emotional health, like it, it definitely can decline in a blink of an eye. Um, I mean, it's, I, like I said, and I'll say it, you know, until I die, I can't imagine what these kids go through being, you know, 11 years old, taking care of, you know, four siblings, having to, you know, see what dad is doing or what mom is doing or what they're not doing, feeling no love, and then having to come to school and taking a state test. That's complete and utter craziness, but I get it. I get it. They have to take, you know, we have to take the tests. We have to give them what we need to give them and what we're legally mandated to. Um, but I mean, how can anybody function in that state? I mean, there are days where I, you know, I'm not my best self at my job because of purely going through or hearing these experiences or dealing with the aftermath of something that might have happened at home with my students. And then the next day I'm done. I'm drained. And so I can't even imagine being the actual person being, you know, nine, 10, 11 years old dealing with it. And it's not something a, a child should ever have to deal with or ever have to think about. I mean, times that break my heart is I, you know, I have a student that will come to me and say, you know, what does in debt mean? Or what does eviction mean? And then we I explain the words and then, you know, he tells me the story and I'm, you know, like this kid is being evicted and he's worried about his sister having to find a job. And I'm having to talk to a 10 year old about job searches and LinkedIn and give him resources to give to his family so they can find a job to put food on the table and to keep a roof over their head. But this kid is 10 because he can't get a job. But having to have these conversations, like when I was 10, 
I would, nobody was talking to me about eviction or what does in debt mean, but I'm having to have these conversations or these kids are at school crying and throwing up sometimes because of the anxiety of we might not have a roof over our head tomorrow. And that's something no child should ever bear the burden of. Wow. Um, now you have to get in, it, it sounds like you have to get in some, um, you know, in between people in some difficult situations. Are you ever like concerned for your safety or does that cross your mind or do you have protocols in place to, um, I don't know, to handle things like that? Yeah, I have my current school. I'm in a really, um, I have a great admin, great staff that are there. Um, I do feel safe in my building. Um, I will say that in other schools that I have been in, um, more so when I was in a high school setting, it's a little different. It's a little different. Um, and just in general, working in a school in America is scary. Um, I mean, school shootings are real. Guns are real. Drugs and violence are real. Um, and so it's, you know, it's a very real possibility. And I have been every single school that I have been in, there's been at least one or two guns found. Um, not saying that that was a plan for a mass shooting or not saying that that was the intention there. A lot of the times for the populations I work with, it's protection. Um, and some of the times they don't even know somebody slipped it in their backpack. Um, but I feel safe where I'm currently at. I've definitely been in some situations where I have felt unsafe for a moment. Um, but the moment I feel unsafe, the moment where, um, I, you know, I give my concerns usually to my admin or security guards that are on the premises. Um, they jump right into action. And so luckily at my current school, I really haven't been in too many um, altercations. Um, I will say all of the uh, behavioral, you know, children and usually the physical behavioral children, meaning those that lash out physically by punching, kicking, hitting, spitting, they seem to be my best friend. <laughs> I seem to always attract those kids. Mm -hmm. um, but luckily, because of that, they don't hit and kick and punch me. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's good. So I'll take it. I'll take it. But no, I would say, honestly, the most um, difficult environment safety-wise is what was when I was at a high school, um, which was two years ago. And that's why I decided to leave um, and go to a lower grade level for now, um, just because I'm young, I look younger than my age, and um, just physically, it was a little bit more of a threat for me to be there. And mm -hmm. so I needed to understand that at that point in time, even though I knew I was good at my job and I loved my students in high school, um, being around sometimes 18-year-olds looking as I, you know, looking as I looked, as young as I looked, um, it, it was a little bit of a challenge. Um, and definitely have been in high school pinned once or twice by people who are, you know, triple my size. But luckily, wow. I've never had, you know, a lasting injury or anything like that. So, so tell us, okay, I've asked you this before. You, I'm like, how do you do this job? Like, there's just so many sad and depressing and almost hopeless kinds of cases, so to speak. And of course, you're, you're a lot of times the constant for some of these kids. But what is the most rewarding thing about these jobs for, for, or this job for you? Like, what is it that keeps you, do you have moments or are there cases that 
you know, you're like, this is why I do this. When I see success, I mean, success can be graduating from, you know, school, moving on to middle and high school and seeing them actually make it. Um, when they use skills that I teach them and I see them like actually out in the world or I see them in the hallways or whatever it might be. Um, I love it when they, they kind of throw my words back at me, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm super stressed one day and they can tell the difference, especially my older kids. Um, just if I'm thinking or I'm in my head more than usual. And I had one of my, one of my favorite students, um, say, you know, miss a, I go by miss a, and you know, they go miss a, like, just breathe. I thought just breathe would would just cure everything. I'm like, all right, thank you, asshole. But you know, whatever. (laughs) But then, you know, he takes my hand and he breathes with me and he teaches me, you know, how, oh, let's do balloon breath, Miss A. Are you calm now? I'm like, all right, thanks, buddy. But, (laughs) you know, they throw it back or I see them, you know, actually using it out in the world. And so um, that's really rewarding. Um, And I would say on the flip side, with my special education population, um, when they're placed in the correct setting, there are, especially in, you know, high-risk, low-income schools, there are students that are not in the correct setting, um, whether it's their, for, you know, their learning ability, their social ability, just their diagnosis in general. I have a lot of kids who they were not thriving. It was making their situation worse, you know, being in a certain classroom or that type of general education setting. Um, and luckily this year I was able to outplace, which means I put them in a program that was outside of my current school. So whether it was outside of the district as a whole, or whether it was with a different school in the district, um, I was able to place them in areas and in different classrooms that were much better for them. So, you know, I had a student that is nonverbal autism and she should not be in a general education classroom. She needed to be with other students with whether it's autism or certain the same cognitive or functional level as her. She, you know, can't keep up when you're teaching math like that, or she doesn't, you know, if she doesn't have a one-on-one aid, she needs that support in order to succeed. Um, and so being able to place her in a different environment, or I've had a couple of kids I had to place in an emotional uh, disability room, um, which means you know, they're, they um, are eligible under the title of an emotional disability, which is the hardest um, eligibility to have in mm. the special education realm. It's pretty hard to prove that somebody has an emotional disability. Um, so seeing those kids specifically who, you know, are hurting themselves as well as hurting other students in a certain general education classroom, when I finally get them outplaced and into the correct environment with, you know, it's more structured, there's more teachers, there's more aides or paraprofessionals around, there's specifically trained teachers for their diagnoses. That's when I feel I have done my job and I I feel successful and that I actually, I don't know, I'm reaping the rewards of my efforts because sometimes dealing with just them in general or dealing with the aftermath of their behavioral lash outs um, or parents who are sometimes not in agreement or don't understand the whole of their child um, when they are finally in a correct setting. That's when I'm successful. So, yeah. How do you get an emotional, um, you know, uh, diagnosis? What did you call it? An emotional Um, 
disability. Disability. How do you get diagnosed with something like that? Or how do you get, you know, what are the parameters? Oh, it is years in the making. Um, so these are children that are pretty severe and profound emotionally. So this is not just the student that may punch a kid once or say the F word a couple times in class. Um, this is not even just the annoying student who always is talking or bouncing out of their seats. Um, these are students who deserve every right as any other student, but because of their um, genetics, because of how their brain is wired, uh, because of other diagnoses and the mixture of diagnoses that they may have, these are students that can be pretty aggressive. These are the students that will continuously punch, hit, kick, spit, um, destroy classrooms, run away from the premises. And they, it sounds a little gruesome, but they like it. That sets them off. And so older terms that we don't use as often today um, would be, you know, sort of sociopath. Um, mm. And I've had a couple in my time. I've had a couple at the high school and at past schools. Um, and I do have a couple at my current school. Um, luckily, those majority of those kids I was able to outplace and get them in a proper placement, which is good. Um, but it takes years of medical work and evidence. Um, there's psychologists, um, you know, neurologists, endocrinologists, there's so many doctors that they have to visit so many exams and tests that they have to take. Um, and then when it comes to school, the entire IEP process or individual education plan, it starts with that, but then it has to sort of snowball into something else. And so we have school psychs and obviously myself, school social workers and speech paths and occupational therapists and PT. And there's so many people and just efforts that have to go into this diagnosis, which it's just extremely hard because again, this is not just a kid with ADHD or a kid with depression um, or even just an annoying kid. Um, They're just like is, severe, severe cases. This is very severe. This is the, it's, it sounds very textbook, but it, it's true. These are the kids that sometimes in their file have, you know, likes to hurt animals or things like that. Mm -hmm. That's sort of what, as the society in America, what we can kind of picture. Um, okay. And these kids that if you do not intervene, it could turn into something a lot worse when they're older, which is why we intervene at such a young age sometimes. Right, right. Do you see why I call her Mother Teresa? Do you see it now? Yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm almost like speechless over I have here. no words. That is. You know, I swear, I'm not kidding. There are days that I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired and I don't know how I'm going to work today. And then I think about you and I'm like, I think I'm going to be fine. I think I'm just fine <laughs> doing my work today. But really, I mean, these kids... <laughs> I've learned so much from you and these kids have the fact that they have you is really amazing. I think you I really do. I think you have a straight shot right to heaven. Yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm going to You're going to agree I'm, with I'm that, right? Yeah, She's I, good. You could do like you're, you could do saint. no wrong from I mean, you know, like I think you're 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 definitely spoken for up there. Um, but I I really thought it would be cool to to have you on, to have you explain what you do for work. I think that a lot of times, like I told Jerome before we got on the phone with you, um, 
you think school social worker. And a lot of times when you have never been in situations like that or witnessed, you know, children that really and truly go through true struggle, you just think, oh, people are just going to talk about their, you know, problems and problems in air quotes. You don't know what real problems are unless you have been in an environment where you've witnessed kids like that or you've been a kid like that. So we really appreciate you educating our audience and sharing your experience. Of course. Yeah, it's it's important because I think sort of like you said, when people hear school social worker, they think more of maybe like a counselor where they just, you know, I see kids with anxiety, which I do. Um, Or they think social worker as in I take away your kids, which is not what I do. Um, And so I think it's important because not a lot of people see the reality of what a school social worker does. Um, And even I sometimes don't even know how to explain my job. You know, if I make a resume, it is very hard to bullet point what I do because I, you know, I, I do everything from talk to them about boy drama or gossip all the way to, you know, I have food in my office and I feed them and I love them. And, you know, on, on, on Mother's Day, I got plenty of Mother's Day cards. And so being sometimes the only one that is able to say like genuinely that like, I love you, be safe, come back to me. It's what I say to certain kids every single day. And, you know, leaving before summer, I go up to every single one of my students and I look them in the eye and I tell them how much I love them. I tell them how much I care about them. I say to please respect your body and come back to me safe. That's all I ask of them. And so it can be, you know, it's a very wide job description. And I don't think a lot of people understand exactly what it means. So I definitely appreciate the opportunity to be able to sort of educate and shed light on the fact that this also just doesn't just happen in Title I schools. There are social workers in every single public school who are dealing with a lot. So the social workers deserve the world, honestly. They are definitely heroes. Any Anybody in a school, teachers, paraprofessionals, aides, they, they are definitely, I think, the heroes of our modern day. Absolutely. And next time you do a resume, just just link our podcast, you know, yes. that way. <laughs> yeah, you really that, want to know about yeah, me? Here you, you go. You just listen to this. <laughs> I love that. Thank you, Mary Claire. I will see you tomorrow. All right. Thank you so yes, much for doing good. this. Thank you so much. Okay. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. Damn. Oh, my God. I'm going to need a drink now. Right? Put that on a resume. She's right. How the hell do you put that on a resume? I know. It's like. I almost cried when she just said that. Like, I got a little emotional. Like. What, talking about the kids? When she says, you know, goodbye to them for the summer? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know, that thing I was talking about with the A score, the adverse childhood experiences, knowing that somebody loves you and believes in you like that, it has a huge impact on, on these kids' lives. I think. Anybody, no matter what situation you've ever been in, there's always that one teacher or that one, you know, professional at school that touched your life. Oh, can yeah. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. You can, like, you, I think everybody can name that one person that just did something inspirational for them or, you know, they were a, 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 a mentor. And she is really that to so many kids. I mean, it's pretty amazing. I mean, to get Mother's Day cards from children – because they don't have another outlet. Yeah. Or they feel that emotionally connected to her is incredible. And she's only in her 20s. 
Wow. That is. That blows my mind every time. Because I'll be like, do you know that? I'll be training her and I'll be like, do you know this song? And then she's like, no, I, no. I'm like, yeah, it's from like high school. I'm like, oh, wait, no, just kidding. You weren't even born. <laughs> well, yeah. And you're like, you're like, that Charlie Brown was from before. Charlie Brown is still on TV today. No, it's not. Yes, it is. My son has no idea who Charlie Brown is. How many he kids doesn't... do you talk to and you interview them about Charlie no, Brown? No, I'm saying, my point is, it's not something that is that has been off the airwaves. Charlie Brown Christmas, Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, Charlie Brown Halloween, Charlie Brown everything. You know what? I'm is... going to investigate. I'm going to ask some kids about Charlie Brown. I'm going to say, name three characters. I'll get back to you. Well, I mean, she's not a child. no. So I mean, I'm saying, if you ask twenty-something-year-olds whether they, they know, know about Charlie, Charlie Brown, huh? Who who has not heard of Charlie Brown? Well, yeah, now maybe they but, haven't watched it, but they right. But they know who Charlie Brown is, hmm. and she knew who Charlie Brown. Okay, and Lucy all was. right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Oh, all right. Well, the the purpose of this is to you know to really just make you think outside yeah. of the box. Like there are, she's right, there are heroes in this world that don't even get acknowledged many times and you don't realize the capacity and uh, of what they do and the impact. And the next time you go to work and you think, shit, think of Mary Claire. Yeah, or if you have an opportunity to, to help someone in a situation like that or, or donate something. Of course. Um, you know, I think it helps to have a little bit more of a reference point from like where these children are coming from. You know, she's, I mean, I've, I've asked her, oh, what are you doing tonight? You know, and she's like, I'm going to go buy some clothes for some of the kids that need them. I'm like, um, is there like a corporate credit card this goes on? Like, I'm so, <laughs> I'm like, where do you, where? And she's like, no, I, it comes out of my own pocket. And I think that's, this is, again, Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa. Yeah. Well, and she loves what she does. And, and that's the thing. So she's not, you know, she's not looking to get paid for for that time she spends shopping. And she's not even looking to get the money right. reimbursed, I'm sure, for the clothes that she buys the kids. It's just she does that because she loves it. I know. It's amazing. And we need more people like that. We do. All right. All right. That um, was our inspirational story for today. And we'll see how you do on your probation. We'll, we'll continue to <laughs> monitor my <laughs> monitor your progress. Okay. Okay. Um, so that's it for this episode of Too Fit to Be Tied. I'm Jerome. I'm Constance. And we'll see you next time. Bye.